I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of The Women in Tech Show, a podcast about what we work on, not what it feels like to be a woman in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. In this episode, I spoke to Shruti Patak, senior product manager at Microsoft. We talked about optimizing web applications by using Redis cache and things to consider to make it secure. Shruti also explained what in-memory databases are and how they improve performance. At the end, we also talked about the program manager role and her experience transitioning from a software development role. This episode is part of a series of shows featuring speakers at Microsoft Build, an annual technical conference by Microsoft. Thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring the show and letting me attend the event. Shruti, welcome to the show. Thanks, Irina. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I am excited to have you because I saw you gave a talk at Microsoft Build, and we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about that. First, I want to begin talking about your background. You studied computer science when you were in college and also later for graduate school. What led you to this field? So just to give you a brief background, so yes, you're right, I did study uh, computer science for my undergrad and also for my grad school. After my grad school, I started working at Amazon. I interned there and then I worked at Amazon for about five or six years. And then I was like, oh, I need to want to try, I wanted to try something different. I've been in, I've tried multiple teams in Amazon and just ended up at this team at Microsoft. For my first team, I was working on some Kubernetes tooling and I'd never heard of the word Kubernetes back then. So it was like a good, awesome learning experience. So I just, so that's how I ended up on Microsoft side. And then the next team I worked was on the Redis team. And I started on the Redis team actually as an engineer or as a developer. But then after a year of being a developer on Redis team, I kind of decided to transition into a product management role. I think we will talk about it a little bit more later if you're interested. But yeah, that's how I'm, I'm here now. I'm a, I'm a product manager for Azure Cache for Redis at Microsoft. I've been here for almost a year and a half as a product manager and more than two years as an engineer for Redis. And then was there something in particular that sparked your interest to study computer science? Or why did you, you know, decide to enroll in this in school? Good question. When I was younger, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I also wanted to study chemistry and pharmacy at some point. But then I also ended up trying out computer science at an earlier age. So I was debating between the two. And uh, believe it or not, I ended up taking up computer science and then the engineering courses because it was more convenient and more closer to the place where I was living and everything. So I just ended up you know, studying computer science, just, just being the more, more convenient option at that point. But I'm glad I made that choice. I've learned so much and I don't regret you know, making that choice at all. So I don't even want to think about what would have my life looked like if I had gone down the road of being a pharmacist. Yeah, it's great how the environment factor helped narrow the decision. And it sounds like you've had a wide range of different experiences and different products, which is one of the things mm -hmm. why I like this field so much is there are just so many different things that you could jump into at different times. 
Yeah. I mean, over the time, I've realized that being in computer science, you could just, you know, use computer science as a medium to, you know, solve other bigger problems or other bigger issues that you are more interested in. Like, for example, if you're interested in chemistry or pharmacy or whatever, biochemistry or whatever field that you're interested in, you can use your computer science knowledge as a medium or as a way to solve the problem that you're truly interested in. So that makes the field truly versatile, in my opinion. I want to talk now about your topic from Microsoft Build, the talk you gave was titled Secure Your App Using Azure Redis Cache with Azure Active Directory, AuthN, and AuthC. There's a lot to unpack in this title. It is. <laughs> First, I want to start with what is Azure Redis Cache? Yeah, let's do that first. I, I understand the topic is a little heavy for the people who are not very familiar with those concepts. So let's start with Redis. So Redis is actually a very popular open source software that is around for over 12 years now. It's actually a caching solution. So what it does, it is the key value data store. So it stores data in the format of a key value uh, pairing in memory. So it is available for very quick access. So the latencies that you get are like sub milliseconds. And then uh, because it's in memory and can also scale um, horizontally quite a lot. So you can, you know, club together multiple instances of Redis server together, and then you can get a throughput of millions of commands per second. That means you can do get and set kind of commands to like a thousand, uh, a million commands per second. So it's a very a scalable and fast data store, I would say. And it's specifically designed towards ephemeral data. So it started out as just a caching solution for ephemeral data, meaning data that it is okay to lose in worst case, but obviously you would want to have it around as long as possible so that you get better uh, latencies and throughput. But even if you lose the data, you're expected to have a backup way of you know populating the data back into the cache. So that's the open source Redis essentially. And Azure Cache for Redis is actually based on that open source Redis. We essentially offer various tiers, basic, standard, premium. And then we also recently uh, rolled out uh, the enterprise and enterprise flash tiers, which we have built in partnership with the Redis Inc., which is the company which owns and maintains the open source Redis. So that's the background of the quick introduction of Redis, like what is Redis. But now we can quickly talk about how or where can you actually use this caching right? So obviously, most of the applications will have some kind of database that it needs, or it needs to talk to other services, make other API calls. And all of these interactions between the application and database or between two services, they come at a cost, right? So whenever you make a database call, it takes some seconds to get back with your response. And then the scalability is also limited. You cannot, you know, bombard it with a lot of write requests, a lot of read requests at the same time, and it quickly becomes the bottleneck for your website. So this is where Redis Cache comes in very handy. So if you know you have some records in the database that you are going to fetch over and over again, or some call to a service that you're going to make over and over again, it's best to just cache it into Redis Cache so that it is available at sub-millisecond latency 
and it just helps you make your application or your website go faster. So essentially, imagine if you are on a retail website and and if the website is not responsive enough or fast enough, customers or your users will quickly lose interest, right? You'll lose those customers will churn. So to make sure you, the customer experience is best, you need to have uh, minimal latencies for anything that you're showing on your website, say inventory data or your shipping data, order data, anything that you're showing up, it needs to show up on the website quickly. So that's the primary use case where Redis gets used is to make your applications or your websites more performant, make them uh, accelerate them essentially. Then, like I mentioned, Redis is an ephemeral data store, so it's great for storing data that doesn't have to be stored permanently. So, for example, if you're logging into a website and the website needs to store your credentials, your password, or your shopping cart information, or anything like that, which is ephemeral, which means it doesn't need to be stored permanently in the database, Redis is a great data store for such information. Like if other use case there where you could use it as is just, you know, as a distributed cache, for example, you have multiple stateless services or you have multiple Kubernetes pods running on your Kubernetes cluster and you want them to share some state or you want them to share some information across pods. How do you do that? An easiest way is to just put a distributed cache that can talk to each of those pods and the pods can exchange information or share the information through the cache. Those are the two most common usages that we see for Redis. There are more usages, you know, Redis supports PubSub messaging and streams and other advanced data structures. We've seen uh, recently a lot of those data structures being used for steam process, steam, uh, stream data stream processing and IoT data processing. But yeah, there's a variety of use cases where Redis Cache can be used even today, like uh, even after this product has been, you know, GA for over 10 years now. We're still learning new use cases every day where we see customers using Redis in a very unique scenarios. So yeah. That versatile caching data store for ephemeral data that people have been using in innovative ways. As you mentioned, this tool or Redis is very popular. It's open source and performance. It's something that's key for it. And you you were talking about 1 million operations per second. One of the things I was reading about Redis was that it achieves top performance by what they call in-memory database. Can you explain a little bit what this means? Right. So in-memory meaning the data that you store in Redis, the any key value stored that you give to Redis server, the data will be uh, always kept in memory only. So that is how it can provide those sub-millisecond latencies as compared to uh, traditional databases or relational databases where the data actually gets written to disks or any sub-physical components and it's not kept in memory. So because of that, you know, Redis obviously is fast, but obviously it's much, much smaller in terms of the size of data that you can store in comparison with traditional databases. With traditional databases, you can easily store, you know, terabytes and petabytes of data. But storing that amount of data in memory is obviously going to be super expensive. So caches are also data stores, but they're usually, you know, 
smaller in size compared to traditional databases and the data guarantees are also different in comparison to the traditional databases when redis was you know introduced the open source redis it was mostly just in memory data store but later on there were some features or support added for persistence so you could uh, you know persist data as backup copies or if the node that is holding the data in memory goes down for some reason you can have a backup copy that you can load up in memory so even though it started out as an in memory there are various ways you can improve the data guarantees today but azure cache for redis today we we, uh, we recommend using it as a caching solution for ephemeral data so that's how they are different the throughputs the latencies that they provide the data guarantees that they provide the size of data that they can support it's very different in terms of in orders of magnitudes so you keep mentioning ephemeral data which you clarify as data that it's okay to lose mm-hmm. what would a user see for example if they're on the retail web app you mentioned earlier and you know somehow redis loses that data what is the experience like got it so for example if your application is storing your shopping cart information in the cache and if in the worst case if the data that's stored in redis had to be had is lost then you would lose your shopping cart information right as opposed to order information which is more persistent like you don't want to place an order and find out that the website has lost your order information that's a much bigger deal that makes sense i've definitely run into issues like that or another one i can think of is similar in a retail website and something shows up you know on a category and then suddenly i try to buy it and it's not available anymore so i'm wondering if that probably yeah it's a similar use case so we've been talking about redis cache in general the other piece of your talk is securing it what exactly does it mean when we say we're securing the cache so the open source redis when it was released it was an open server right like you can protect your server with a password but the default implementation is is passwordless like any client or any application can just start messaging or start giving commands to the redis server that's the open source implementation you have the option to protect it with a uh, with a password or you just leave it open but obviously when we adopted it for azure cache for redis we disabled the passwordless option completely it's it's just not secure to keep your server open it could lead to multiple security issues so by default every azure cache for instance that you create always comes with a password protection or an access key right so to help understand how or how did we make it more secure recently we'll we'll have to look into the developer experience a little bit so today when you're trying to connect to your azure cache for redis from your application you would have to use a connection string right the so connection string has the name of your redis cache host name and the access key that you want to use to connect to your redis cache right so you could either hard code it in your code but obviously that's not recommended security practice as well so you would as a best practice you would put the password or the access key in a key vault right so when you want your application to connect to redis you know the host name you go fetch the access key from the key vault and then connect to your redis cache so this works well 
But obviously, uh, recent years, there's more awareness, security awareness, and there have been a lot of uh, users and customers who need these passwords and access keys to be rotated periodically. I'm sure you must have experienced that uh, security requirements as well, that, that all passwords and access keys must be rotated securely periodically. So to support the rotation of access keys, uh, what Redis does, uh, Azure Cache for Redis does, is Azure Cache for Redis actually provides you with two access keys, a primary and a secondary. So you are connected to your application using your primary access key, but now when the time comes to rotate your access key, your application will have to switch, like basically reconnect to Redis using the secondary access key. And then when you are sure that the primary access key is not being used by any application, you can rotate that primary key and it doesn't affect your application because you are connected using the secondary key. And now then once your primary key is uh, rotated and you are good to go, then you can switch your application to go back to the primary key. So basically your application has to switch between the keys and uh, also be responsible for rotating the access keys periodically. That's the security requirement today for most of our customers. So obviously, as you can imagine, it's very painful to do it periodically if you have, you know, multiple applications, maybe say, you know, tens of pods on Kubernetes, maybe an app service, a website hosted on app service, maybe Azure functions, you can have uh, clients connecting to Redis anywhere. And if you're rotating these access keys, you need to coordinate across all those client applications to make sure that, you know, when you're rotating password, none of them are using the password that you are uh, scheduled to rotate. So it's a big uh, undertaking to coordinate across all those applications and do it periodically. So to solve this customer pain, we, we introduced this concept of being able to authenticate or being able to connect to your Azure Cache for Redis using a service principle or a managed identity. So the way it works is when your application wants to connect to your Azure Cache for Redis instance, it needs to fetch a AAD token and then use that AAD token in place of an password. So because it's, you know, the AAD token uh, refreshes uh, periodically, automatically, and every time you connect, you're going to fetch a new AAD token, which is a refresh token. It takes away the requirement to rotate the access keys periodically because every time the password that you're using is a new password. So it's automatically rotated and you don't have to, you know, maintain those access keys in key walls and rotate and coordinate the rotation across multiple applications periodically. So that's the value add there that we added is you can now connect using a managed identity and a token, AD token to your Azure Cache for Redis. So that's a big value add. That's a big customer ask that we have had for so many years now. And we are so thrilled to, you know, finally offer it to the customers. Along with this authentication, this has definitely made, you know, the authentication more secure and helped our customer applications to become more, uh, like, simplify the customer applications. But along with this authentication, uh, we've also rolled out support for something that's uh, called Redis access control list or a way of, you know, doing role-based access control for Redis users. So what you can do is when you are storing your data in Redis, you can configure which user will have access to which commands and what data set, essentially. So your Redis user would be essentially a managed identity or a service principle that is assigned to your services. 
And then you can configure which service has access to which part of the data and what commands can be executed by that particular application. So this is really helpful when you are, you know, have a multi-tenanted architecture or you are, or the Redis instance is being used by multiple services. You can easily isolate uh, the data between the multiple services. So for example, the service that the data that's used by service A cannot be accessed or edited or, you know, deleted by another service, service B. So you can protect and isolate the data that's stored in Redis. And obviously, you can also control who can do, you know, some dangerous commands, who has the ability to do what kind of command. So this it, it just makes the security story for your Azure Cache for Redis more streamlined in terms of authentication and also in terms of role-based access that you can provide to your applications. Exactly. And you're also talking about different layers that are going through this authentication flow, right? We have the services or like your website, what can it do with the cache, but then also at the same time, a user logging in, you know, they can obviously, for example, just see only their shopping cart, right? They shouldn't be able to. So there's multi layers of this auth, right? Exactly. There's multi layers. You can control who gets to see and what they get to see, essentially. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you talked about all of this at Microsoft Build. Mm -hmm. What did you like about attending this conference? This was my first time at a big conference like this. And especially at uh, Build, it was definitely my first time. So I didn't really know what to expect. But I was amazed by the scale of it. The hosting was, you know, spectacular. Everything was just flawless there. The coordination, the volunteers, it was a big event. So definitely I was amazed by that. I loved that. And I definitely want to go back for that. The other thing that I really, you know, loved at you know, being at Build was the ability or the, you know, the chance to talk to customers uh, face-to-face in life, right? As a product group or as, you know, engineers on the team, the only time you get to talk to a customer when something bad has happened, right? Like something is blown up and something's not working as expectation. And that's where customers will reach out to you and talk to you. But I'd build, I mean, I got to talk to a few customers and I was just blown away by their responses. And they were like, oh, this just works. We have no complaints. This is the most awesome product ever. So as product group, you don't hear the positive feedback as often. And it's sometimes, you know, you could get discouraged by the issues that you see, but you you should remember that's just like probably 1% of the customers that sometimes see the issue. The the 99% of the customers, they're not talking to you, meaning they have nothing bad to say about you or your product, right? So that was a good experience to actually hear positive feedback and to hear how delighted the customers are with your product. So that was, you know, a good aspect, like talking to customers outside of, just, you know, their issues or their complaints. So just to hear that they have no complaints, that was just amazing to hear. So, yeah, that's definitely the part that I love the most. Before we finish, I want to talk next about your recent switch to a product manager role. What has been your transition like? I would say it it hasn't been a big transition in some ways, but it definitely has been a big transition in some other ways. So just to, you know, clarify what I'm trying to say is when I started on this team, I 
ended up, you know, taking a lot of responsibilities around, you know, customer satisfaction and, you know, customer supportability. I was very passionate about making sure we do, we take, you know, data-driven decisions for customers, make sure, you know, do the right thing for customers. And, you know, thinking back, I, all the roles that I have been over the past, I have taken over the past 10 years, I realized that I have always been, you know, more attracted towards the aspects of my job where I'm more closer to the customer, where I get an opportunity to delight a customer or help solve a need of a customer. Those were the aspects of my job that gave me more satisfaction. And when I was this Redis team for a year or so, an opportunity came, like opened up where, where I saw there was an, you know, a gap we had an opening for a product manager and I was truly enjoying that aspect of my job for over 10 years and I just decided to lean in you know the customer obsession the desire or the urge to do the right thing for customers there's just some limitations on how much you could do it as an engineer and I just took that opportunity leaned into it and transitioned into a PM role to just get rid of those limitations and you know just do it more and more, do the things that I like. I'll just do more of it. And that's how I ended up into this product management role. So it's been a year and a half. I have the the urge to do the right things for customers, the urge to desire to help customers. That aspect of my job has stayed the same, right? I still have the same motivation. I still have the same desires uh, and still have the same, you know, ideas in my mind of that my goal is to help the customers in one way or the other. It's just that, the ways that I'm helping now is slightly different than what it was in the past as an engineer. So yeah, other than that, the end goal or the vision has stayed the same. It's just the execution or the way to get there has slightly changed right now is what I would say. And it sounds like for you, what might have been a little bit easier was the fact you were already working in this product. So it was just a matter of focusing on different kinds of responsibilities. That definitely helped uh, being on the same group or the same team and transitioning into a different role. Yes, having the background knowledge or having the domain or the product knowledge definitely helped. I was already, you know, warmed up on some of the common issues that our customers face, some of the common complaints that our customers have. I was already aware of those things. And yes, that definitely helped me, you know, ramp up faster on the new role that I've taken up. And yeah, I would probably recommend that to anyone who asks me about transitioning or like basically try to limit the number of things that you're changing, right? Like I was trying to, if you're changing role and team and domain, there's just too many things that you're changing at the same time. If you are able to, you know, keep one of them constant and only change one thing at a time, that definitely helps and gives you the right, you know, springboard to ramp up faster. And the last question is, has there been a particular skill that you've had to develop a little bit more once you switched roles? Oh, definitely. I think as engineers, you don't really get a lot of opportunities to talk to customers or to talk to external stakeholders quite a lot. And I think that is definitely something communicating with external stakeholders through emails, through you know calls, through various, you know, platforms that has definitely been a big learning curve for me I think doing this kind of in you know maybe a podcast interview that's also something new there's so there have been so many first times in my life in the past one year 
had never had to do as an engineer. But yes, I have done it as a product manager. As a product manager, at some point, at some level, it's your job is to, you know, fill any gap that you see in your product. Like I have done UX designing. I have done customer interviews. I have done online seminars. I've done, uh, you know, live seminars, all of those things I had never done in the past 12 years of my of being an engineer that I've done also many uh, in the past one and a half year of being a PM. So yes, there's been a lot of new learnings for sure. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you have the goal or you have, you know, your desire in your mind that you know that that's what you want to do. This is for our customers. This is what I want to do for my product. This is how I want to help my customers. And you will just do whatever comes your way, essentially. Well, Shruzi, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a very informational chat. Thank you, Irina. This has been great. And uh, yes, I got to do my first podcast interview because of you. Thank you for that. And yes, this is one of the first things that I've done as a PM as well. So yeah, thank you for my another first. 